I'm Jim Cameron, Jim Cameron Consulting, broadcasting from the Fountainhead, the home of Synergy Billing, and I'm your host for Volusia Matters. News, interviews, and matters that impact Volusia County directly or indirectly. And now for the news. At the November 17th Volusia Economic Q Breakfast, Fountainhead developer Jason Meyer welcomed Bold Age Pace to the 23-acre campus and is negotiating to bring Aza Health as well. Contingent upon City of Holly Hill approval, the expansion will include more than 36,000 square feet of new construction that will make a variety of healthcare services available to the local community. Meyer further stated, the mission of Synergy Billing is to make certain that citizens have access to quality, affordable health services. Bringing Aza Health and Bold Age Pace to Fountainhead is an extension of that vision. Bold Age Pace stands for Programs of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly, and it provides health support services to low-income elders. Fountainhead will serve as their Belusia headquarters. Now, Aza Health is a nonprofit, federally qualified health center that employs 250 staff members and operates primary care, dental centers, as well as full-service pharmacies. And getting Bold Age Pace and Aza Health working together at Fountainhead will help provide healthcare access to more underserved Volusia residents. Next, at its November 15th meeting, Daytona Beach City Commission appointed Mike McLean to the Affordable Housing Advisory Committee as the planning board's designee. They reappointed Cheryl Cook and Michael Schnappsteiler to the Downtown Development Authority, reappointed Deborah Binky, Kenneth Hunt, and Pete Zahn, and appointed Javier Benavente to the Downtown Redevelopment Board. They also appointed Kevin Murth Murphy to the Nuisance Abatement Board. Next, New Smyrna Beach City staff hosted a forum last night, November 20th, to gather public input about a proposed streetscape project on Washington Street. This is a busy thoroughfare that is the most direct connection between US-1 and the North Causeway. Now, it'll include underground power lines, new street lights, landscaping, crosswalks, as well as upgrading water main and stormwater infrastructure. Now, this public input from last night will be part of a recommendation that will go forward to their city commission at a future meeting. And also, numerous New Smyrna 
residents who volunteer to serve on the city's 17 advisory boards and temporary task forces. These groups will be dealing with parking, economic development, as well as code enforcement and zoning. And uh, tonight, November 21st, the City Commission is hosting a workshop focused on the definitions and procedures that govern these advisory boards as well as the qualifications necessary to serve on them. Next, Volusia Schools Technical Coordinating Committee will meet Thursday, November 30th, 3 p.m. by way of Microsoft Teams online and at the district's facility services building on Olson Drive in Daytona Beach. Topics to include annual enrollment, school capacity, proposed school attendance boundary changes for school year 2024-25, capital improvements program, as well as population and development trends. Next item, last week, Governor DeSantis announced two new Volusia County Court judges. Joseph Ladon, Port Orange, was an assistant state attorney for the Seventh Circuit since 2015. And before that, he was senior attorney for the Florida Department of Children and Families. He has a bachelor's degree from Emory Riddle and a law degree from Stetson and he fills the vacancy created by the retirement of Judge Campbell. Next, an old friend, Catherine Miller, Daytona Beach, was an attorney for Wright and Casey, as well as Cobb Coal firms. She has a bachelor's degree from Vanderbilt and a law degree from Stetson, and she fills the vacancy created by the resignation of another old friend, Judge Bell Schumann. Next, Port Orange residents in low-lying areas are still dealing with localized flooding issues after last week's heavy rain. And despite city efforts to minimize the flooding risk, some roads still overflowed. And a uh, spokesperson from the city said that Port Orange got over eight inches of rain in 20 four hours. Now, to alleviate some of that flooding, city crews cleaned storm drains and lowered wastewater levels to prevent them from overflowing. And as for the long term, city staff is working with the consultant to assist residents in applying for federal grants to protect their homes against future storms. They also have several projects they're working on to improve conditions in low-lying areas. Next, the Seminole Tribe can now move forward with plans to expand casino games and offer sports betting at its Florida facilities and online, even as a case to stop that is being heard in Florida Supreme Court. Now, the court rejected a request to block 
all attempts to expand gambling as provided under the 2021 State and Seminole Compact while the court hears the case. Now, this lawsuit pertains to the state's compact with the Seminole Tribe, and under the 30-year agreement, the Seminole Tribe got control over sports betting and can now add craps and roulette to its casinos. In exchange, the tribe would pay the state at least $2.5 billion over the first five years. Now, the plaintiffs said the compact, that 2021 compact, violated the 2018 constitutional amendment that required voter approval for any expansion of gambling in Florida except on tribal lands. Now, the tribe and the state say the compact adheres to that 2018 amendment since the servers or for online sports betting would exist on tribal land. Now, in the meantime, the Seminole tribe has begun allowing online sports betting through its app for people in Florida who have accounts already and will open in-person sports gambling at its Florida casinos in December. Next, Governor DeSantis announced that Florida just set a record for the number of visitors in this year's third quarter with an estimated of some 35 million visitors between July and September, of which 32 million of them were domestic visitors, 2 million were overseas visitors, and 660 so thousand were Canadian visitors. And in addition, Florida's annual visitation stands at 105 million visitors so far in 2023. Next, last week, as you remember, Congress passed a two-step stopgap funding bill just before a December 17th deadline that would have triggered a partial government shutdown. Now, proposed by House Speaker Mike Johnson, it extends funding for some federal agencies until January 19th and for others until February 2nd, 2024. Now, the House voted 221 to 212, and Congress members Michael Waltz and Corey Mills both voted no. Conservative Republicans wanted more spending cuts, and some Democrats wanted a single funding deadline for all programs. Now, the Senate later passed the same bill, 52 to 46, and Senator Scott voted no, and Senator Rubio did not vote. 
and there were numerous senators who objected to the bill's provisions regarding immigration, health care, and defense. And regardless, President Biden signed the bill. The, the White House said it will work with Congress to pass a long-term budget deal that addresses Biden's priorities regarding infrastructure, social spending, and climate change. Now, Speaker Johnson said this bill, it, it bucked the tradition of a massive, loaded holiday season spending bills introduced right before that Christmas recess. And this bill, it gives Congress time to negotiate a reasonable and responsible budget and avoid costly and unnecessary shutdown that would harm our economy. Now, some House Republicans criticized the bill for not including any spending cuts. Now, this is the latest episode in ongoing budget battles, and this two-step stopgap bill will keep the government running, as I said, until January the 19th, but that could set the stage for another budget showdown. Next, you might remember back in August, Fitch ratings downgraded the U.S. long-term ratings from AAA to AA plus due to increasing government debt and repeated debt limit standoffs and 11th hour resolutions. Now, credit ratings are independent assessments of a government's credit worthiness and they can attract or dissuade investors and influence the cost of borrowing. Now, credit rating agencies quantify the risk of lending money to a country like the U.S. when they create a rating. Now, Fitch Ratings, Moody Services, and S&P Global Ratings are the three most significant rating agencies. Now, when assessing government's credit worthiness, these agencies look at that government's debt, per capita income, gross domestic product growth, stability of financial institutions, inflation, and other things. Now, lending money to a country comes from visitors and other governments purchasing government-issued bonds. Now, these bonds are usually low-risk investments, but some governments may or more or less likely than others are going to be able to meet those financial commitments. Now, this stuff may sound boring, I know, but it, it is dollars and cents, and that's taxpayers' dollars and cents. And on that same note, the U.S. Federal Reserve meets eight times a year to decide lending rates. Now, since March of 2022, the Fed has sought to bring down inflation rate to 2%. Now, their next meeting, which is going to be December the 12th and the 13th, 
will be closely watched because their dilemma is, again, how to curb inflation versus the risk of slowing down economic recovery. Now, inflation has been ongoing for several months, probably more than that. At one time reached 6.2%, the highest level since 1990. And the Fed has several options at this December meeting, including they can hold rates steady, which would signal that the Fed is confident that its current strategy is working and expects inflation to moderate in the coming months. Or they could raise rates, which would signal that they're worried still about inflation and they want to bring it down, which could slow down economic growth. And there's some other strategies, but we'll see. The Fed's decision at its December meeting will have significant implications for the U.S. economy, financial markets, as well as the global economy. So, stay tuned. Okay, regarding property insurance, we have with us today Hyatt Brown, Chairman of the Board of Brown & Brown Insurance. Glad to have you with us today, Hyatt. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, talk about a very sticky subject, which I know you want to ask questions about, uh, the, the availability of windstorm insurance for homes and uh, other commercial uh, buildings uh, in our area and in Florida. Well, and Hyatt, as we all know, there's been quite a bit of news regarding uh, increased rates and coverage, litigation and all. Can you share with us your general thoughts on that right now? Yes, I think we're headed towards a better time, but it's not going to happen overnight. Um, first of all, we've had um, a spate of hurricanes that have come into the Florida Peninsula over the last 10 years. Uh, second thing is, is that there are the value of the homes and the value of the buildings has grown substantially, both uh, in, in initial construction cost and in the replacement cost. And as a result of these values escalating and more and more homes and more and more new commercial and industrial structures being built in Florida, um, the exposure to the risk bearers, and a risk bearer is an insurance company, and where they pay their claims from is from premiums and then capital and surplus. And of course, if the amount of premium and the capital and surplus don't equal the amount of claims, then the insurance carrier goes broke. And that's happened several times in the last several years in Florida. And there is a state guarantee fund which picks up a certain amount of that uh, loss. So if in the case of the homeowners, if the company that you were with uh, went broke, then the state ultimately would reimburse you subject to some limitations of up to $300,000. So if you had a home that was worth more than that and, and in fact you had a loss and in fact the company went broke and in fact the uh, guarantee fund had to come in, the maximum you could get is 300000 So it's rather complex. Now in terms of, uh, of what's happening now, um, the availability is restricted. Now this is, I'm thinking now more of homeowners now than commercial buildings. 
Um, but commercial buildings also are restricted in terms of the availability of capacity to write insurance. And so the commercial buildings also are just like homes in that they're the risk bearers, the insurance carriers, are looking very carefully at roofs and the age of the building and the construction of the building and where it is and et cetera, et cetera. So let's go back to homes. Um, homes are uh, where the greatest pain has come about and that includes condominiums. But uh, an example here in Volusia County that I think is uh, very telling, uh, during Ian, which is I guess a year ago or so, um, uh, we had here in Brown and Brown, I think we have about 70, 700 and some people uh, working in the two locations on Ridgewood and on B Street. Uh, I happen to uh, have some information about 43 or 44 of our teammates who suffered uh, damage from rising water, flood, rising water. And of course they didn't, uh, in the case of most of them, only three had flood insurance. And that's in addition to the homeowners. In other words, you buy a homeowner's policy and you have to buy a flood on top of that. So, um, uh, and they had to, you know, pay it out of their own pocket and scrape and scrimp and borrow. And that's, that's really tough. And they lived here in the very, in the home that was flooded, they lived here for years and years and years, never had a problem with water before, but they did in that particular hurricane. So the flood piece, uh, in addition to the wind piece, is a very substantial exposure for homeowners. Now, uh, when are rates going to go down and when is the availability of insurance going to become more available? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, there's no question about the fact that the changes that the legislature made in the last session are, are going to help prospectively. That means on claims that are uh, being, that will occur in the future. Now, as I understand it, when that legislation was being passed in Tallahassee, there were a large number of additional claims, thousands, I've heard, whether that's true or not, I don't know, of claims that were filed <clears throat> under the old law, which means that those claims would be paid without um, the limitations that are placed upon uh, the payment relative to the new legislation. So uh, as we go forward, those claims will run off. Now, are we going to have more hurricanes? Probably. And so is the legislation going to then focus on paying the claims uh, fairly and equitably? Yes, I think it will. Uh, and so uh, my suggestion is, is that over a period of time, rates will come down. But I don't believe they'll ever get back to the uh, times of 10 or 15 years ago when uh, it was pretty, almost any home, regardless of where it was located in our area, and I'm thinking now more of Volusia County than I am statewide, almost any home, uh, was uh, there was availability for home coverage. Uh, but this is a changing time. The next thing that's happening that people don't necessarily think about is we're having a flood of people moving into Florida from elsewhere. Um, I was at a meeting recently where I, the gentleman who <clears throat> was uh, head of the related companies, um, uh, that's a large real estate uh, company. His name is Stephen Ross. He's um, probably in his mid-60s and the re related companies are um, 
Uh, they're large, I think maybe third or fourth largest real estate holding company in the United States. He's moved from um, the Northeast to, to Florida, to Palm Beach. And he was talking about most recently some data that's um, occurring. And he said that um, uh, in the last um, three years, I think that's, uh, maybe it's in the last two years, uh, of the people who had family incomes of $400,000 a year or more, um, uh, 46% of those moved to Florida, someplace in Florida. 26% moved, moved to Texas, and then the third uh, state was Arizona at a much lower percentage. The only reason I mention that is, is because these people are going to be buying homes or building homes, and the homes that they're going to be building are going to be expensive. And when they buy an existing home, they're probably going to do renovation. That's expensive. So that increases the amount of exposure, the dollar uh, cost of replacing with insurance those structures, if they're damaged by uh, wind or flood, uh, it means that there's a huge amount of additional uh, capacity needed. And capacity means the ability of an insurance company or a group of insurance companies to have the capital and surplus in order to pay the claims that occur. It means that the capital and surplus has to go up or else uh, there, there is no availability for the capacity to write that insurance. So there's lots of challenges. This is a very, very complex issue. It is not going to be solved uh, in the short term, but we do have legislation in place that the legislature uh, passed last year that will be helpful. And so, um, you know, the next chapter is now being written. And Hyatt, on that same note, uh, it sounds that uh, we've got, I think, four or so companies, private sector companies, moving into the state to take over some of those citizens' policies, though, because I know the state has been trying to depopulate citizens, which has now gotten up, I've heard, up to about $1.3 million policies, and those are backed by the state. So, uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's 1.3 million policies. Exactly. Uh, and they're, they're <clears throat> limited as to the amount of insurance that they're getting in each case. But uh, the bottom line is, yes, there are additional companies that are being qualified to take out homeowners uh, covered from uh, the uh, from the citizens. Now, the thing that you have to understand is is that the pricing on those companies probably will be greater than the citizens' prices, the, the premiums you would pay. So it is additional uh, available capacity, which is very important, but it is not going to be cheap. And so the idea is the state doesn't want to be in the insurance business. They would like for the insurance companies to take over that. And, and, and the insurance companies are trying their best to try and facilitate that need. So, um, yes, there is some light at the end of the tunnel in capacity, but not necessarily in pricing. And, Hyde, as we were just talking <clears throat> Uh, people that are in citizens, I believe the new legislation requires that if you do have uh, citizens policy that you now have to have for water damage, uh, flood insurance. Yeah, it's flood and rising water, not necessarily water damage that could be caused as a result of a windstorm, which would the roof off. That would be 
uh, some covered water damage. But mm -hmm. but um, relative to if you have um, citizens and if you're in designated uh, flood-prone areas, and there are several uh, territorial designations on that, if you are in one of those areas, you do have to buy flood insurance. And the only place that's available is the federal flood pool. Okay. Hi, just wanted to say thank you for this interview today, and we'll be in touch. Okie doke. Thanks, Jim. Good luck. And to finish up, you guessed it, U.S. debt now stands at $33.7 trillion and growing every day. Now, look for a new podcast episode to be released next week. And the views expressed on this podcast may or may not necessarily express the opinions of Jim Cameron Consulting. And for more news, check out my newsletter, which is being emailed week after next. And if you're not receiving it, call me at 566-2140, and my $1,000 guarantee still stands. And for the upcoming events, I want to remind everyone of a December to remember at Riverfront Esplanade. And this will be starting this Saturday, November the 25th, and it'll run through January the 1st. And parking's going to be available on Beach Street. And it'll include numerous community events throughout the Esplanade, and there'll be over one million lights throughout the park. And uh, I'm taking my grandsons down there. I went down there last year. It was superb. But this year, they're adding that new south side section from ISB to Orange Avenue. And so uh, I really recommend y'all. Y'all got to go see it. So, uh, and look, I'm, I'm still ticked off about this attack, uh, both on Ukraine and Israel. And, and as I say again, I don't know what in the hell Putin and uh, Hamas were thinking when they initiated these darn attacks. And I still hope both of these conflicts are resolved soon. But let me again reiterate that I stand with both countries, Ukraine and Israel, 100%. This is Jim Cameron signing off, saying, God bless and roll tide.